Yeah, well, good morning. Happy Father's Day. It's kind of cool to be able to be up front here on Father's Day because raising our three daughters is one of the greatest joys in uh, my life. And uh, But close second right behind that is being a grandfather. And uh, it's so much fun to be a grandfather as a dad. You're worried about the mortgage and you're working on your career and you've got to figure out how to pay for braces and those kids need more Costco Cheerios, you know, all this stuff you're thinking about as a dad. But as a grandpa, all that stuff kind of fades away and you just get to kind of enjoy them. We have two amazing granddaughters that are just so much fun. And one of the things I really see as a grandfather is, is their development and their growth. Uh, maybe you didn't notice it as a dad because things are happening and they're right there all the time. But as grandparents, you really see the leaps and bounds that they take and they go through growth spurts, not just physically, but you know, as they learn to walk or as they learn to read or as they make their first dumb knock-knock joke. You know, you see these things that are, that are growing in their lives and it's really exciting to see those seasons of growth in our granddaughter's life. I've been thinking about that in the last couple of weeks and, and I see a parallel in the spiritual realm as well in that. I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of things are that way. There's a, there's a physical component and then there's a mirror in the spiritual realm as well. And I think in the spiritual realm, there are times that we grow through rapid times of spiritual growth, times when we're just really powering and we're really, God's really doing amazing things in our life. And uh, his activity is very obvious in our life. But there are other times when things seem to kind of quiet down in our Christian growth, especially if you've been a believer for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. There are seasons in our Christian life. And the Apostle Paul, I think, speaks about this very thing to some really good friends and partners in the city of Philippi in the first century. Um, Mike and the team have, over the years, talked so much about that special relationship between Paul and the Philippian church they were very close. Paul was the founder of that church, and they just this is not a distant letter, this book of Philippians. This is a letter written to friends and partners. And I invite you just to open your Bible or dial in, if you could, with me, Philippians 2, 12 to 13. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's just pray for a second. Lord, thank you for this amazing scripture and these words. And Lord, I just pray now you take and make them real and living and active in our lives. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into these moments now. God, speak to our hearts as we look into your word. Amen. Like I said, I think there are seasons of spiritual growth in our life, and I think that's what Paul is referencing as he opens this paragraph. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you always obeyed, so now, as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Think about that, how great it would have been to have Apostle Paul as your pastor. <laughs> Talk about some very cool messages and some very cool healing services and, and just the whole gravity of that thing. He planted this church. And can you imagine the spiritual growth of people's lives under the ministry of Apostle Paul and the power of the Holy Spirit as they got saved and transformed from all of the worldliness in, in the city of Philippi? It would have been a pretty cool thing to have Paul every night probably teaching and preaching and leading the church. But then, of course, like usual, Paul's off on another thing. And right now he's in prison 
and he's not able to be there. And I think he's really, and his heart comes through to say to them, as much as you grew during that time when I was with you, make sure that you continue to grow in a different season. Paul, I think, is saying this, is, this looks different than when I was there with you. He even wants these longing to come back and be with them. It's probably not possible right now, although he says how much he'd want to do that. I think he's trying to encourage them that there are different seasons in their spiritual growth and to lean in to that, even though it's not like it maybe used to be. I think there's uh, people that I call Christian conference junkies. I probably was one of those at one stage of my life. And they just go from conference to conference and high to high and looking for the experience looking for the next best thing, looking for the big rush of the, of the Lord, you know, and, and that's cool. You grow in those times, and I love those. We're going to have one of those coming up. The equip will be like that. As it always has been a time of rapid spiritual growth. But there are other times in our life where are kind of quiet times, and it's easy during those times in our Christian life to think that maybe God has kind of turned his back on us, or maybe he's, his gaze is looking away in our life. Um, but what I find in those times in my life that are a little bit more dry or a little more kind of flatlined spiritually is that I realize that many times God through those times is building new levels of character and growth in those quiet times. I've seen in my own life, there's only certain things that God can do in my Christian character, my Christian growth that can that only happen in the desert, if you want to say it that way. Uh, and so we just need to be aware that there's different seasons in our life and we lean into God, but God, his ministry looks different and his growth process looks different for us. Like, like my two-year-old that's shooting up and, and then she's four and then she slows down and there's different phases in our spiritual life. We live in a great uh, acreage and we have lots of different kinds of big trees in our acreage and two of the trees that are very interesting to me in our property are maples and arbutus. Maple trees grow really fast. Uh, I'm always cutting them down so I can see and get in the driveway. They just go crazy fast and grow big all the time. They're great to split for firewood. If you want to impress your wife, make sure there's maple on the firewood st stack when she comes out because you look really good when you're splitting it. It's fast growing. It burns pretty quick. And then there's arbutus, which we have on our property as well. Arbutus is very, very slow growing. If you take a maul and to a full swing, it usually bounces off like a piece of concrete when you're trying to split it. But it burns so hot and so long because it's so dense. Those two different kinds of woods, I think, are good pictures of what's happening sometimes in our Christian lives. Sometimes there's growth. It's so obvious. It's just flourishing. It's crazy. Everybody goes, whoa, you're so different. But there are other times when there's something deep, something slow growing that's taking place in our life. And God is in that just as he is in the times of the rapid growth. So I think Paul is just starting to remind them of that reality, the difference in terms of that. Then we go on to the second half of 12. And Paul in the second half says this, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if you've been hanging around church for a while, that may sound a little strange to your ears. Work out your own salvation? Wait a minute, I thought this was a free deal. What do you mean, work it out? Well, I think what Paul's pointing out is the amazing thing about our spiritual growth is we get to cooperate with God in our spiritual growth process. We work out our salvation along with what God is doing in our life. And this can be a little bit confusing sometimes, especially as you're a new Christian, because 
Satan loves to come in and natter in your ear. Did you really get saved? Are you really saved? Look, you're doing all this dumb stuff you used to do and stuff like that. But as you grow in the word and begin to mature over time, you realize actually there's phases in salvation. It's a very big word. Those of you that are Bible school junkies know exactly where I'm going next. (laughs) There's three parts to our salvation the, the word of God reveals. The first part, theologians call justification. That's that moment when we accept Christ as our Savior It's a one-time event. No do-over is required, and it's a past, finished event in our past as a Christian. Another way to look at that is that moment we are freed from the penalty of sin. We are saved from the penalty of sin in Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 talks about this this part of our salvation. And Paul in 5.1 says this. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we have been, notice it's past tense. So there is a part of our salvation that's finished, it's over, it's done, it's completed in Jesus Christ. We didn't do anything to be part of it. We just accepted Christ in his finished work on the cross. Paul's not talking about that part of our salvation here in Philippians 2. He's talking about the next part of our salvation, which theologians call sanctification. And this is an ongoing process. It's something that's not complete short of our being in the presence of Jesus. You can say that it's freedom from the practice of sin, but it's an ongoing part of our salvation. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18. Speaking about this part of our salvation, he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to the, uh, those of us who are being saved... It's the power of God. He's not talking about justification, or he's talking about sanctification, being saved. It's an ongoing process of God working into our life. And it's easy to get those two confused, especially as a new Christian, and Satan loves to mess those things up. And once we start to understand where they are, there's a a settledness that comes into our life in the sense that, yes, this is a done deal, but in a sense, no, it's not, because God's still got something to do in my life. The third part of this deal, which comes later, is what we call glorification. This is when we're in the presence of Jesus, when we die or when the Lord comes back. And this is a future reality. It's not yet happened in our life. And it's freedom from the presence of sin. That's the third part of our salvation. And 1 Peter 1 is an amazing verse that talks about this. Uh, Starting in verse 3, he says this. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So we have that ability to look forward to that part of our salvation as Christians, that moment of glorification when we're in the presence and we, we don't have to deal with sin and sickness anymore. But in the middle, between the justification and the glorification, is this sanctification piece. And sanctification, this process that Paul's talking about here in Philippians 2, and he says, work out your salvation, it's not that we're working for our salvation. That's already done. Hear that. It's not that we're working for our salvation. It's working out our salvation. Or better yet, working our salvation into our lives. The meaning of this word uh, has a great picture of a someone who's, who's kneading dough, and they're kneading the yeast and other things into the dough. They're getting it into that dough. It's a great picture of a farmer who's tilling in 
uh, nutrients into the soil to, to make the soil stronger, getting it down in there. That's the picture of this word when Paul says, work out your salvation. There's things that need to work into our lives after we're saved, and sometimes those take time. One of the big ones that I really see is this issue of identity. Who are we? We're loved by God. That takes us a long time to get our heads around that. So many times over, I don't know, 15, 18 years, whatever we've been part of Oceanside, we'll have services where the love of God will just descend and people will realize, I, I knew I was loved, but I feel and I know that I'm loved. And that, that, that's a process that God is working into you to know the love of God. It takes us a while to know that we're forgiven because we know we're lousy sinners, you know, and we still keep doing it. And it takes a while for that identity to seek in that we are truly forgiven in Jesus Christ. This is this working in, this working out of, of our salvation. It takes us a while to realize that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we're not just, uh, you know, responding to the world around us, but God is in us. His Holy Spirit is in us as Christians, and we have power to go and heal and save and, and tell people about Jesus and so many other things we can do. So that takes a bit of time for us to work that out. And many times that comes through just spending time in the Word of God. As the years go by and as the decades go by, as that Scripture soaks into our lives, like those three Scriptures I just read, when Satan comes and natters away at us about some stupid lie, right away we just go, oh, that's so dumb. Uh, here's what the Word of God says. I know what the Word of God says. This is a settled issue. And, and so we don't really struggle with those things as much. But there is an ongoing part to our salvation. All of you that are Christians today, I could say you have been saved, but I could also say you are being saved. Some of you need it more than others. That's not true. All of us are on the process of that. Have been saved. Um, and Paul says we do this with fear and trembling. Now, again, that seems strange to us because in English, most of the time when we think about the word fear, we think about Oh, no, someone's going to hit me with a stick or, you know, that kind of thing. That's our understanding of fear. Something bad is going to happen to me, so I'm afraid. There's a lot of different ways the Bible talks about fear, but in this situation, it's talking about a deep and serious reverence for who God is. I think what Paul's saying is work that out with that kind of reverence and that kind of fear and that kind of awe before God that he's doing something amazing you. It's not just some flippant thing like, oh, that'd be cool if that works out, or if I have time, I'll get around to that. No, Paul says, this is serious business. There's a sense of settless. As amazed as you are that you were saved in justification, you should be just as amazed that you're being saved, I think what Paul's saying. And so there's this sense of fear and awe, and I don't know if you've ever felt that, but there are times in my Christian life when God's doing something, I just go, whoa, God, what are you doing? That's fear and trembling with my sanctification process. And Paul says that's a good thing because what God is doing is so earth-shattering in getting the gospel into my life that it's serious business. Joyful, but serious. So I'll go on to verse 13. I'm back in, in uh, Philippians 2. So God talk, Paul talks about these things. It's working out their salvation. And then the kicker in verse 13 is Paul says, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God provides the desire and he provides the power for spiritual growth. We live in a world that's very self-help oriented. You know, if you don't ever go through chapters, take some time now that we can do it again and look through the self-help aisle for chapters. It just goes on for 
yards and yards and yards. And all these books are 15 ways to do this and seven highly effective and 1658 things. All this stuff has to do with things I need to do to get my life together to be a better person, a better husband, a better whatever the song says, right? You know, all of these things that have to do this self-help. This is not what we're talking about in the scripture. We're not talking about some kind of white knuckle willpower that, that brings growth. You know, I'm going to be better. I'm going to be better. I'm going to be better. I'm going to, you'll never get it. You'll never get salvation worked into your life if you try to do it that way. Yes, we're cooperating with God, but God provides the power for us to be able to see these changes take place in our life over the years and over the decades. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And if you're a Christian and that's news to you and you don't really understand the Holy Spirit, I really encourage you to begin to get to know the Holy Spirit. We have some great resources in the church website that will help you do that. Just begin that journey of understanding this power, this third part of the Trinity that's resident inside you that wants to provide and has the ability to provide the power to change, not you changing, but him changing things in you. He provides the power for us to grow spiritually. The great thing about all this at the end of 13 is this spiritual growth is for God's good pleasure. (laughs) He likes it when we grow spiritually. You know, a lot of people want to focus on the anger of God and, you know, what makes God angry. And there are Christians that always just want to talk about the anger of God. I don't know why that is, because the Bible talks about so many things that bring God pleasure and joy. He is a joyful God and he's a God that enjoys things. And one of the things that he enjoys is when his children are becoming more like his son, Jesus. That brings him pleasure. So this whole process is not like something he does grudgingly like, oh, man, we got to sort out that foul mouth with Mark. You know, let's work on that. No, as that transformation takes place and my speech begins to change from before I was a Christian to after I was a Christian or whatever the issue is on that, it brings good pleasure to God. There's a joy in God in that. And, and we, we participate in that joy. I don't know if you've ever sensed the, the joy of God over your life. Again, I've seen it many times in the, in the services at Oceanside over the years. There's just something that descends. The pleasure of God descends on what's taking place at that moment and transformation in people's lives. And you just, you just sense God smiling. We say that, and that sounds kind of lame sometimes, but it's true. The scripture says it's for his good pleasure that he wants to do this. So how cool is that? He gives us the desire in the first place. We don't think up stuff that needs to get changed in our lives. You know, that's the last thing, you know, we want to talk about. He gives us the desire, but he also gives us the power to do it through the Holy Spirit. And then when it's taking place, he's celebrating and rejoicing. It's like a win-win-win, right? (laughs) So it's just really exciting to me to see that God is into this whole process. For many years, as I looked at this passage, I focused on the your own part of this salvation, Work out your own salvation. And for years and years and years, that's the focus to me of this, of this passage has been very me-focused, me and God, very vertical, kind of in this space where God's working on me and I'm responding to him. Work out your own salvation. That's very true. That's definitely part of this passage. We have a responsibility to take care of our own stuff, quit worrying about somebody else's stuff, and deal with our own stuff and let God work in our life. So it's certainly in the passage. But what I want you to see is as you dial back a little bit and see what else is going on before this passage and before this, this, after this passage, there's some significant insights that I hadn't seen just until recently until I started thinking and praying about this passage and getting ready for this morning. What I saw is this is when I checked the context before and after these verses, it's all about community. 
Check the context. When you think about what is the best incubator for Christian growth, where do you grow the most? Is it in your little quiet upstairs room with you and God and just you? Totally that happens. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. But Christian maturity works many times best in the incubator of being around other people. Someone said, wrote a long time ago, I wish I could remember who wrote it, but most of our Christian growth takes place within three feet of another human being. Have you found that out? And some of that is not pleasant, right? Some of that is hard and that's rough, but look at the, look at the context. Back in a little bit earlier in the chapter in 2, Paul talks about complete my joy, being of the same mind, having the same love, being full in accord of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Every one of those things has to do with somebody else, has to do with a horizontal relationship. You can't do that stuff unless there's somebody else around. In the context of community is where this, this salvation gets worked into our life. It's the incubator, it's the nursery where this good thing gets born into our life. And it happens in the context of other believers and other people. Sometimes at great pain with, you know, Susie Sandpaper or whatever, you know, there's, there's people that drive us crazy, but they're there for our growth and for us to grow with them. And Paul talks about this is the kind of church he's praying that they would be, a church that is exhibiting these kind of horizontal relationships. How do they do that? Because their salvation is working out in their own lives individually and it's flowing to each other. Look right after the passage in verse 14. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among who you shine as lights in the world. Is that individual or community? That's totally community. He says, work it out and it should look like this. Now, as Christians, over time, we get better at maybe uh, not imbibing some of the big sins. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like I haven't murdered anybody in like a decade, okay? So we get those big ones out, you know, the ones that really get us in trouble, like that, that kind of stuff. We, we get smart enough after a while to, to know that. But there's a lot of other stuff that we kind of like to harbor. And Paul touches on this. Do everything without grumbling or disputing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Christians are like way better at this than most of the people in the world, you know. So he puts his finger on something that's really very, very kind of... Um, acceptable maybe in some ways in the Christian community and says, look, this is not how we should be operating together, grumbling and disputing and talking behind each other's back and whining. This is not the kind of church we're talking about. How does that happen? Does that happen because some guy, the veins sticking out in his neck, preaches it every week? Does it happen because you're up in your little room trying to make it happen? No, it happens in the context of community. You know, And so what I'm seeing in this passage is even though we need to work out our own salvation it happens in the incubator of community. And that's the place that God has designed it for it to happen. The kicker has been COVID. And this has made a very natural desire to be together sometime, somehow feel strange. Think about little children. I'm a school bus driver and I watch little kids. And, you know, when little kids see each other, especially, you know, even little two-year-olds on the playground, they don't know each other. They just run toward each other, and then they're like, you know, 
what is your favorite dog's name? You know, they want to just talk. They want to touch each other. I mean, my granddaughters are like, don't lick that child. You know, I mean, they just they just have this desire to want to be together with each other. That's how God has made us. And yet now during COVID, we've had to say to our little kids, no, no, stay away. Don't put your mask on. Don't don't touch him. Don't get near him. Stay behind the back of the fence. You know, all this kind of stuff. Right. So it's really messed us up in terms of something that really was very, very natural and normal to us. And I'm, I'm, to tell you the truth, I'm struggling with it. Uh, I have been for months. And now I'm having trouble, if I'm really honest, re-engaging into the Christian community. I've gotten so used to sitting on the couch with my coffee and pausing when I need to go to the washroom, the service, and turning it back on. And, you know, <laughs> that it's, it's strange to be with you today. But I know this is where I need to be and where we need to be in the context. And not just in a worship service, but doing stuff together and in small groups and in the community and doing stuff together. This is the incubator that God has made us. And we've got a fight coming out of this COVID thing, this thing of stay away from each other. Now, yeah, I know it's real. I'm not arguing that. I know we've got to be obedient. And thank you so much to our leaders and our elders in our church who have tried to walk the line so carefully with being honoring our government in this. You know, I'm so appreciative of that. But as things begin to open up, we're going to have to adjust to the fact that we are supposed to be together. And that it's going to feel weird to be together for a while. But that's what God has wanted us to be. I love Paul's message last week was so significant. We don't want to just go back to where we were. You know, it, there's this thing like, well, I always said the good old days. You know, you watch the, you, <laughs> the thing at the beginning of the church service with the, you know, Wes at the door and the band. Mike, you know, what, what's that called? The bumper, the opener in the church service. And I go to Dina. Do you remember those days when those when the services were just cooking and we were, you know, 450 people over there and, and you just could not, the, the buzz was so huge. We were just like, would that ever happen? Man, we long for those days. Well, those were good days. But I don't think God is just calling us back to that day. I do believe we're going to get back to that. I think there's more that's going to come from that. So don't just settle for, oh, I can't wait to get back to the freeze frame that happened a year and a half ago, but there's more. And that's going to happen in the context of community. And the cool thing is that's going to happen for our salvation and the working out of our salvation as we relate to each other, as we grow with each other. So next time heaven seems quiet and your spiritual journey kind of seems to be stuck in the desert, just remember this. God is not finished with you yet. He didn't just save you and then go on to the next project and I'll sort this out when he gets to heaven. He's, he's interested in your growth. And it might be there. He's doing some times in your life, something in your life right now that could never be accomplished in other ways. I learned that in the last months through the medical thing we've had to go through. There are things that God put into my character that I don't think he could have ever gotten into without what I've had to go through. And yet those times look so dry and so desert-like but just know that God is not finished. He is working out your salvation, and he's doing it joyfully and with good pleasure. Invite the worship team to come up, and I just want to pray for you if you can relate to something of what I said this morning. I just felt like we need to have just a, just a moment to pray together. And Two things are on my heart this morning. One is if you just feel like you're in a desert, in a dry place, and heaven is silent, and it maybe has been for some time, I'd like to pray for you, and we, just together. Um, I know there's people watching this live stream and later on. Prayer can happen through that too, so I'm including those of us that are here and those of us that, that are watching and will watch. 
Just ask if you could be honest. If you just stand, if that's true, if you just feel like it's dry, it's just dry. Just stand up. I want to pray for you. Just admit that to the Lord. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you for being honest. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you take good pleasure in these people that are standing right here. You're not done with them, Lord. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would fall on these believers now. Help them to see that, that maybe they're, they're going through an arbutus stage of their growth right now. But it's no less important than the fast-growing times in their life. Just pray you bring an assurance of your good pleasure over them, Lord. Thank you that you, you even instilled the desire that they'd want to stand today, that they would even recognize that they feel like they're flat-lined. Thank you that you're doing that. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're present in them. Lord, I pray that you would overflow, Holy Spirit, like a fountain now, that they would begin to see those times of breakthrough again. And bring that assurance in their life, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I just wanted to pray for all of us. If you're having trouble re-engaging, I can't say post-COVID, but we're getting near the end of that. If you're having trouble coming back into the Christian community, I, I'm, I'm having trouble. It feels weird to me. I just want to pray for us as a church. Pray about what Paul said last week. Lord, I thank you that you're bringing us through. Lord, I thank you that things are going to be changing now in the next weeks and months ahead in terms of the restrictions that we've had to put on. But God, we want to say to you, we don't want to just go back to what was. That's not good enough anymore. There's more, Lord. So I pray you help us in re-engaging, learning when the time comes, how do we hug each other again? How do we spend time together? How do we serve together? How do we relate together? God, I just pray that you would open up the floodgates post-COVID in this community and in other Christian communities in our city. Lord, and bring about a new thing. Bring about a tidal wave of freshness and newness, not just like it was, but better than it was. And Lord, we thank you that this brings you good pleasure. Thank you for all these things. In the name of Jesus, amen.